Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode two of My Week in Cars. A, uh, over the next eight to ten weeks, Steve Cropley and I from Autocar will be joining you to talk about our respective columns in Autocar magazine. And we'll be dealing with some of your correspondence too. You can email us at autocar at haymarket.com. And you can find us on all the socials. So we're at Autocar on Twitter. You can find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram, but not TikTok yet, I might understand. So hello, Steve. Hello, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Thanks, mate. So... Uh, a week in cars. Last week we talked about uh, briefly about the Noble M six hundreds Yamaha engine. You might remember. And Dave okay. Edmondson has written in um, to say that yes, you you talked about it being marine, you know, make a good marine engine project. Dave Edmondson says that a derivative of that engine is still used in five point six liter V eight form uh, for a four hundred and twenty five horsepower Yamaha outboard motor, which I I don't I don't I know nothing about outboard engines, but it seems. That they tip the engine on its back so that the crankshaft points straight down into the water, and then there's a presumably some kind of reduction gear, and it just and there are pictures of boats with four of these things, four 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 five point six liter V eight out the back making. Yeah, amazing. Isn't it? How can space. they be? How can this vast engine be suspended in midair like that? I, I, I always know. thought. Yeah, exactly. I always thought um, marine engines, uh, outboard engines, were light and. Compact and the, the ones that I used to admire were the two-stroke, multi-cylinder two-strokes. Mm. Dave reckons there was a straight six two-stroke. One stroke. Oh, really? That's cool. So I spoke. I spoke to uh, a Lexus Toyota guy the other week, engineer the other week, and uh, about this because he's, he's based in California and he was talking about the California Air Resources Board regulations and things like that and what's happening to cars. And he said the other thing we've got in in California, Los Angeles, San Francisco area, is all of these marinas with thousands upon thousands of boats, more boats than, you know, more boats in one county than you've probably, one one state than you probably have in the entirety of Europe, leisure boats. And uh, there are no regulations on them. So at some point, you know, we've got to, at some point, we've got to worry about 
not just cars. But I think, and I think California is getting slightly more serious about dirt bikes and all kinds of things that use its uh, that use you know that the play in the area as well. But it's crikey, it's something to think about, isn't it? You know, we cars are incredibly heavily regulated, but there's a bunch of V8s sitting in the water doing yeah. whatever they want, whenever they want. Well, and two strokes, and and um, and. Mm. You know, imagine what a marine catalytic converter is going to be like. You know, where the hell yeah. do you carry that in the thing? Yeah. Sounds yeah. horrible. Yeah, quite. Anyway, uh, back to the back to the order of things and uh, your column, which I also, Steve, confession to make, I thought your column was called Motoring Week and had been forever. Turns out it is called A Week in Cars. Well, fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I, think... I don't know. I've, Maybe it always it probably always was a week in cars, but you know when you just know something. I've been reading it for I don't know as long as you've been writing it thirty years, and I just assumed it was called Motoring Week, but it's, uh, I, I checked as far as twenty eleven, and it isn't. So, <laughs> shocking well, to me. I mean, I suppose we if we just go with the logo we've got, that's fine, isn't it? It's a that's week right, in isn't cars. it? Yeah, yeah. A week in cars is what it is. Yeah. So uh, your Motoring Week starts uh, at PNA Wood. So there's two things I want to talk to you about here. One is PNA Wood, the Rolls Royce uh, specialist, but also this motorcycle tour you've been doing with your lad. Yeah, well, I, we have a bit of a tradition. He um, he's an old man now, you know, forty odd. He, he um, when I was um, when we were young. Sorry, let me start again. When I was young, he had no interest in motorcycles at all. Neither did his brother. But as time's gone on, he's just become more interested in the machinery, and he's got um, he's got into them. And, and we we suddenly find that we both have a motorcycle that we like. We particularly enjoy touring. We're not so struck on on track day pursuits, but uh, we just like watching the world go by. So last few years, we've saddled up and headed off somewhere. And this this year, it was the Suffolk Norfolk coast, mm. and uh, we you never get as far as you think you're going to. But you enjoy it, so it's good. <laughs> yeah, and tell me about P and A Woodmate. They are a uh, specialist. I don't, I haven't visited, but it's a my understanding. It's quite a special, quite a special place with quite a history. Yeah, they they are simply two tw- twin brothers who started off. Um, I think they were Rolls Royce. They always loved cars. They were Rolls Royce apprentices, either separately or together. I think one lasted longer than the other. But in effect, they had this Austin 7, which they messed around with. And while messing around, they they came to see, they, they chanced to see a, a Rolls-Royce 2025 in their local town that was just covered in leaves and corruption. It had obviously been there for years. And they formed the impression that what they ought to do is acquire this thing and get it going properly. And they duly did that by first restoring the Austin 7 to raise a few quid to buy the roller. Mm. And then um, and then going from there, and, they, and the, the rolls were so beautifully restored by these two that it, that it became a sort of emblem of their skills. They were, they were natural-born restorers. And people who knew the, the marks, Rolls and Bentley, started to respond to the, to the, uh, uh, you know, the brilliance of these two. And... and they did their other thing, which is to deliver extraordinary customer service. So they'd have your car in for a, for an oil change and, and clean the engine bay. So you get mm. your car back with a fresh sump full of oil and a load of a load of um, a, a gleaming engine bay, and it, and it it was irresistible to the customers. And they built up a clientele, and it never stopped. And they've got this 
extraordinary multi-million pound emporium now with which deals in both new and old cars you know mm-hmm. rolls and bentley's worth five million quid no problem but yeah. the, the joy of the place is that they don't care at all about the money i mean they it's helpful to be able to you know finance what they do and have 60 employees and all the rest of it but all they really care about is delivering quality and if you talk to um sadly um one of the brothers paul died recently but but the thing that they always made a fuss of was quality. You just knew that you would get this quality, and everywhere you look, quality. And it mm. continued by, by the MD of today, who's Georgina, Paul's daughter. Fabulous place. You need to go there, mate. It's a, it's it's a it's a winner. Yeah, I'll do that, mate. I'll do that. Thank you. Uh, and the rest of the tour uh, went very well. How was the uh, how was the how was the biking? Was the weather up to up to snuff? It was perfect. It was it, we were. It was there was a little two day slot in between. Um, uh, rubbish, you know. But but we had apart from one shower where which we just rode through. It was good. It was really good. The, the we went to Lowestoft, I think, and a bit inland and so on. He has a Yamaha seven hundred Tenere. I have a BMW GS twelve fifty, and we just pooted along like a pair, pair of gentlemen. It was good. Excellent. Good. On the subject of uh, Austin 7s as your first car, uh, which we talked about last week and which the brothers have just had. So we've got a letter from Roy S, who says, how fantastic it must have been to acquire an Austin 7 as your very first car. You write, uh, in the late 1950s, he says, he did that. He paid 35 quid for a 7, equivalent to £570 today. One summer, get this, I drove it from my home in Berkshire to the south of Spain to meet up with friends who had a villa there. And eventually... Uh, my friend Francis and I had five Austins taking parts from three of them to keep two daily drivers running. Uh, very simple to maintain and fix. Entirely unlike modern cars, although the Peugeot 407 SW that I drive today is a lot better on the road. Yeah, I know which I would rather drive to the south of Spain. Well, I don't know. Would I, I don't know which I would rather drive to the south of Spain. And I think it depends on the kind of, depends how long you've got to get there, doesn't it, really? Yeah, that, uh, I think it does depend pretty dramatically on the time available. But <laughs> yeah. you you, you can see the joy of it, can't you? I mean, you know oh, yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we did a, a feature a few years ago about um, a sort of wintry Christmas feature, driving a, a Morgan three-wheeler and a Caterham 7 to the sort of north of Wales in the in the depths and depths of winter. And it's kind of that kind of experience, isn't it? When the uh, when people talk about motoring, that's what they were on about back in the day. You know, you get to the end of the yeah. day and you are cold and filthy and everything else, but, you, you know, you've... You've worked for your miles that you've got under you. Yeah, it is funny that on these trips. I think there are, there are phases, aren't there? There are you get going and you sort of think, "Good God, I'm I'm not going to be able to tolerate this for for this long." Yeah. And then you kind of settle into it somehow, and it and it it just it just becomes a, a a sort of way of life for a day or two. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's almost like a restoration project or something, isn't it? They, I think psychologists talk about the. Uh, the morale that you have, you know, you get this project and the morale is sky high, then you realise how long it takes to do things. Yeah. It just goes to rock bottom and then you gradually work back just to just just put them put the hours in. Um, right, your next column item, you've driven, as have I actually, Max uh, Edelston, our staff photographer, is running a Citroen Berlingo van, which you've spent a bit of time in. I've spent a bit of time in it recently as well, but it's because you've just sold your Berlingo, uh, you've got more thoughts on this. Well... 
yeah, I'd like to hear yours be truthful, but but um, um, I just like the fact that they, I felt I felt they read across pretty well. Mine was nineteen years old when it went. It's probably twenty now. Living a, a, a life with a with a Berlingo fancier who has about four others, and um, <laughs> but I was just I thought it was lovely to find that it was still, you know, the same easy driving, supple, simple. Um, you know, comfortable and reasonably quiet machine that I, I'd always liked, and and uh, that I had a bit of a moment when, in the second iteration of the Berlingo, that I thought they spoiled it, but this um, this version seems to have got it back, especially since um, the car Max has had is a panel van, which um, mm. which has got various holes in the front bulkhead and so on. So I can, I found that I can fit my old motorbike, my Douglas, the front wheel goes through the. The bug, the uh, uh, really, you know where the passenger seat is. You can fold it forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a yeah. hole behind the passenger seat, and if you mm. if you bung the front wheel through there, it just fits. So instead of having a trailer, you can take your old 1913 motor motorbike around the place in a Berlingo. I, oh, I almost bought idea. the bloody thing on the spot, but yeah, I managed to with restrain myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're incredibly useful. There, and it's what I liked about it is it's not. Um, and like it's a van and it's incredibly spacious, it doesn't feel too big and unwieldy on the road or anything. It just the visibility's a bit iffy, isn't it? So it's got that weird camera system that um there is because there is no central mounted rear view mirror. Rear view mirror if you it. tap the end of the uh, <clears throat> indicator stalk, it gives you a camera to the left, and the rest of the time you've got a camera to the rear, which is quite a handy thing. Yeah, but yeah I I really enjoyed it, mate. I really you know, it just it's sort of easy riding, easy it breathes easily over the road and yeah, you could drive a a long way on there's nothing van like about it is there in terms of no, driving experience it's no, they're very, quite well equipped very relaxing yeah. yeah and i mind you it took me about 10 minutes to figure out how the rear vision worked but yeah i think and i know max are you know it makes sense for a photographer to have a, a wagon with a lot of space in it but he was he is going to miss that incredibly when it goes because it's such a useful such a useful thing i can see i yeah i see the appeal more and more of vehicles like that, and when uh, you know when manufacturers talk about lifestyle vehicles and they show you SUVs and whatever, if you actually go anywhere lifestyle, like mountain biking or surfing or windsurfing or whatever, you just see a bunch of vans, don't you? you That's do. the real lifestyle vehicle. Yeah, that's the real lifestyle. Vehicle. And they're all, yeah. in fact, one of my sons, the, uh, the has got one, and he he swears by it. He, you know, he's, he says much rather have that than a camper van because a camper van draws attention to your. To your to what you're up to, whereas you oh, know, if you're if you just need to pitch up somewhere, you you park one street back from the from the seafront, shut all the yeah. apertures, go to sleep, and nobody bothers you. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Tell uh, us, um, I might, go on. I was going to say I might move on to my column from there, which is yeah. I was going to say to, defender. Let's, yeah, the defender and it. Also, we, I think we ought to do the Honda E, shouldn't we? Or is that going to? Oh well, no. Let's talk about yeah. Let's talk about that in a, in a yeah. Let's talk about that afterwards. Uh, yeah. So the Defender first, which is my lifestyle vehicle of choice. Yeah. Uh, ugh, I mean, it's been in the family for nine years. It's I don't know, 16, 17 years old, and has been to the moon and back. It's got two hundred and twenty thousand miles on it, or something like that. But it's an incredibly useful one vehicle to do everything. So. Uh, you know, I, I bought it when the when the kids were younger and were doing outdoorsy stuff. So you know, they were riding horses or go karting, and we did to to tow things. Um, but also, it's a short 
wheelbase one so it's not very big on the outside and it just ticked all the boxes in terms of practicality but also it's a defender and it's lovely yeah i mean they're not they're not great cars as you and i both know steve but it you know it's it's slow and it's thirsty and it's noisy but it's wormed its way into life as a family pet if you like you know and it's the um, yeah yeah and you just think well wouldn't it be more sensible to it would have been more sensible in the first place inverted commas sensible to buy a double cab pickup but they would have been quite big, not very easy to park, you know, five metres, five and a half metres long. And the Defender is, you know, 4.3, something like that. So it's a it's a compact car on the outside. Anyway, it was parked uh, last weekend in the nearby town, where it occasionally is. Uh, came back to it and uh, somebody's put a key down the side of it. And it's what? just, ah, it's just, it's sort of, it's such, because it's, so personal because you know because it feels like it feels like somebody's kicked the cat you know it's awful but um the other thing is because it's got so many scratches and marks and everything else on it i'm now in the dilemma of thinking well how do i how do i get rid of these ones how do i get rid of these marks that i don't like but i'm happy to accept some of the other little scratches that have got the you know the family memories that come with the the general sort of wear and tear with it so uh i'm just in a slight um think about what to do but now every time i walk up to the door i see it and i just i just cross right, so, so i don't so. think there's any yeah it's just upsetting i, I, I don't think there's anything we do about it i don't think there's anything uh i don't expect you know i've reported it but i don't expect the police to be able to do anything because you know mm. it's a it's a car parked on a street who, who sees it but um we have got a you know a reference number and dropped some notes through local letterboxes saying you know if you've got one of these fancy doorbells or a cctv that might have seen something this is the reference number you can let let uh, your bill know, but I don't. The thing you know, I, it's I, it's what it is. I I read your in, your piece, and I'm, I kind of hope that anyone listening to this will read what you wrote in the rag because honestly, it's the most impassioned piece of piece of uh, uh, writing about a a car that you love. There's there's two immortal paragraphs in there, mate. You should you should somebody should frame them. They're so lovely that. Well, that's, that's very kind of you to say. That's very kind of you to say. We'll put them up, well, we'll put them up okay. at home. You know, it's it's a it's a sort of it, it's an outrage. It's just an outrage. And yeah, and, uh, I, I I really feel sorry for you. What? So the the decision you think will be that you just leave it? I think. Well, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Probably. I mean, we might just. I might have a go at sort of tea cutting out the little scratch itself uh, and see how it and see how it goes. But if you start thinking. Oh well, let's respray that side of it or whatever. You know, you you end up yeah. thinking. I always think like when you've got a slightly grubby white car and you can't tell because it's white and they don't really look dirty until you make a clean patch and then you think, oh blimey, look out, look how dirty the rest yeah. of it is. So I think it'll just yeah, I think it'll probably just you know fade into the background and uh, yeah. just be another battle scar on this Land Rover's ever ever going long life. But it's well, a, you know, the nice yeah, and uh, the nice thing about it is that uh, I mean it. It does need a bit of work, the Land Rover, I think, but not a huge amount. And every time I, you hear the sort of scare stories and the expense and the welding and stuff like that on old Defenders, but every time I take it for an MOT in a service, they just go, yeah, we've just, you know, changed the oil and done stuff, and it just seems to run on and on and on. So I can't grumble about that, really. No. Can't grumble about that at all. No, um, I've, um, I've enjoyed, I've seen it numerous times because you're mm. often in it, and uh, I love the lived-in look of it, so I hope you won't change that too much. No, crikey, no, it doesn't get cleaned very often, and I think that'll stay. So, no, like you, mate, I'm not a big fan of cleaning cars. So, uh, Anyway, back to 
your column, everyone talks to you about this quite a lot, Steve. Bloodhound as a zero emissions vehicle, potentially. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I, I was, um, I stay in touch with Andy Green because I like him and he's a, he's a, uh, you know, very interesting bloke. And, uh, but he's... he's- Fastest man in the world, isn't he? In that's Blackout, him, yeah. In uh, Thrust SSC. Yeah, he's the only man that's driven a car supersonic as well. Yeah, a seven hundred and something or other, and, um, and that was. But that was quite a long time ago, twenty years mm. ago. And they've been uh, working away with this car called Bloodhound for a long time, and it, and it um, ran successfully at Newquay Airport. Then they took it to South Africa to a specially prepared track, which they which was produced by the kind of local population in a, in a very remote region of South Africa. Um, and it ran successfully up to 630 or 630 miles an hour. Well, and the plan was, but as you probably know, the aerodynamic loads on cars climb massively and to do 800, which is what they want. They need massively more poke than they had from the jet engine. You see, Mm. So the idea was to bring it back to the UK and get going. But they brought it back to the UK. Two things happened. Three things happened. They didn't have any money. COVID occurred. And the times moved on in a way because um, this thing depends rather heavily on the support of school kids and, and, and education projects. And people start to think, well, hang on a minute. Out of the back of this thing is, is emerging rather large quantities of gas that we perhaps don't want and um mm. it was explained very eloquently by andy who is eloquent that that the entire project um the gas produced by it was was the equivalent of a 747 taking off from heathrow and getting as far as slough he reckoned <laughs> he reckoned that was the entire emissions it wasn't yeah a, a, a game changer but anyway along comes this uh, it was sustained for a while by a, a very well-intentioned bloke who ran out of money and moved on. And now it's in the hands of a, a CEO called Stuart Edmondson, who's come up with an idea of running e-fuels for the jet using a, an EV, a modern EV, uh, sorry, a modern electric motor to pump the fuel, which you need to do at a sort of massive rate. Yeah. And using Wasn't there hydro- talk of a... Jaguar V8 to do that at one point. No, that, that, was, going to, that was going to be the fuel pump. It was going to be, was that, first was of all, it was going to be a Formula One engine. Then it was going to be a Jaguar V8 when Jaguar were a sponsor, but I think their interest fell away. Right. And now it's an EV. Gotcha. Uh, sorry, an electric motor, not an EV, an electric, mm. electric motor. And 
because electric motors and batteries have moved on so far, they can do this. Mm-hmm. So the plan, this bloke, Stuart Edmondson, is in the process of hatching a plan to to have this thing do 800 miles an hour while producing no extra emissions. In fact, oh, the, wow. the hydrogen peroxide rocket that's going to provide the last 200 miles actually contributes pure oxygen to the atmosphere. That's one of the byproducts of hydrogen peroxide when it oh, interesting. expands is oxygen. So he, yeah. he feels that it's a net, um, it's, a, it's a sort of carbon positive, if that's the expression. Uh, That's interesting. Is the so the rocket, the hydrogen peroxide rocket, is that the same as it would have been fuel-wise in the first place? The rocket would always have been hydrogen yeah, emitting. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Understood. But it was the it was the thing that gets you up to six hundred miles an hour that they were yeah. worried about. Now the problem is they've still got no money, and um, mm-hmm. and the the new CEO has another job. He's he's interested in research into sharks. So when Andy and I were talking. He was in the middle of the Pacific chasing <laughs> sharks around the place. So it's going to take a bit of time, this. And, and, yeah. uh, but they believe they have a plan and they, and they can be much more appealing to a modern audience, they feel, with a, with a carbon-positive message. So yeah. it lives. The car, meanwhile, is in Coventry, the Transport Museum, along with the okay. other SSCs and so on. Mm. Yeah, thrust is it SSC and thrust, thrust who are, yeah. are all in there. So the three of them are in there. And are they? Does it need? Well, clearly not. If you can leave it there, it doesn't need too much looking after between between drinks. I mean, it's a chassis with nothing going on in it. Is it, is no, it still got a, the still got the jet engine in there? Is it? Or I believe so. They seem to have. At one stage, they were going to have to give back the jet. Um, but mm. it's the jet is the property of the government in some form. I think it might be out of the back of the services or something. Gotcha. And yeah, because that's a Eurofighter Typhoon jet. Is that that's right? That's it. Yeah, is that yeah, yeah. The first time I ever met Andy, it was at, it was at Farnborough when they all they had to show was a was a mock up, and and we were standing by this thing, and suddenly a Eurofighter it bolted down the runway and took off, and he said, "That one's got slightly less power than us." <laughs> and, uh, excellent anyway he does uh, i mean he sells the project very well doesn't he he's i've heard him talk about it a lot and he's uh he's like as you say incredibly eloquent about it and and one of these people i admire who can take a very complicated thing and explain it in simple terms that i understand and i'm that is him. envious yeah. of people who can do that yeah yeah that is him yeah uh right your next column item your ladder of a discovery has gone yeah, uh, that you've been running as a as a as daily daily transport. Voxel Astra has come in. Um, what version, mate? What do you think? Well, there's going to be two. There's there's a 1.2 um, a turbo manual, sort mm-hmm. of mid spec that arrived. It hasn't actually lobbed. It arrives tomorrow. Um, but that uh, the idea is to run that for a couple of months and then um, get hold of the hybrid, the plug-in hybrid, which is the to them, the flagship version, sort of 1.8, 180 horsepower. And, uh, you know, run that, I don't know, to, from now to Christmas or something. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, 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 I got a lot of respect for, for the, the designers of the, of the current range of their cars. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I saw Mark Adams, who is the, uh, is he Vauxland Opal 
designer, I don't know what his chief designer or whatever his name is, yeah. uh, at the launch of the Corsa. And that happened when PSA Group sold sold out to, sold Opel Vauxhall to, uh, no, hang on a minute. Who sold it? General Motors sold it to PSA Group. That's it. That's it then yeah. later became Stellantis. St- and, which is uh, now Stellantis, yeah. Which is now Stellantis, yeah. And um, apparently there was a course and nearly ready. Well, General Motors said it was nearly ready to go. Mark said it wasn't anywhere near ready to go. But mm-hmm. they, the deal would be the deal would be that either they could make this Corsa that GM had designed and pay GM a, a fee on each one mm-hmm. uh, as some kind of license, or they could just go and build a brand new one, um, which they did. I think pretty pretty really rapid turnaround time and i think you're right to manage to get a car in that space of time based on a different architecture than you were expecting and everything else and to make that car look so good is impressive and um they're just i don't know freed from general motors things seem to do better don't they yeah in terms of you know and it just in general i'm also intrigued about this class of car though it's what we used to call c-segment we'll still do c-segment hatchbacks um Ford are going to cancel the Focus in a couple of years because everybody's buying SUVs. But I don't know about you, I've got quite a lot of time for cars in that class. Well, the thing that you've, you, if you drive a lot of SUVs and then somebody bolts, stick you in a Golf or something like that, you suddenly realise what the, the influence of smaller frontal area is. And, you, mm. you know, suddenly the, you know, the car rolls down hills easier and it, the fuel consumption is better. And, and there's a, I don't know. I've, as I, it must be my old age, but I, but I, I find that I value sort of easy rolling cars, and it seems to me that smaller frontal area and, and and lighter cars, even though they're not super light, they're lighter than SUVs. Mm. They're more desirable, and I don't mind my bum being closer to the floor either. No, I mean it's. I get. I get the idea that it's it's easier to get in and out of a crossover or something and you know you can just slide straight in rather than fall in and if you've got to load children into seats in the back and stuff then having it a bit higher is no bad thing either but oh just so much nicer to and i think everybody you know anybody who drives even moderately often would appreciate the difference between sitting high and sitting low because yeah. it just a car just feels more you know, more responsive and more dynamic. You don't have to be a really keen driver to notice that. I don't think, do you? I think you know, if no. you step from one to the other, I've you know, I've had people. And there's the body roll issue, isn't there, as well? You know, if you're sitting down there amongst the wheels, it's mm. not, it's not sort of echoed so much. You don't get displaced mm. sideways when you go through bends and the car rolls a bit. So I, I, I think there's a case for them. I mean, I, I absolutely get it. The fact that. Uh, um, you know, people love SUVs, but but oh dear, I'll be sorry when you know if the class goes completely. The, the idea yeah, of the Focus not being around is it's rather upsetting. Really. It's hard to think about that, isn't it? It's hard because I know that, you know the Focus has been around for twenty five years, but as the Escort, that class that class of Ford has been around. Crikey, and the and the you know and the 60s. models before that, yeah, 50, yeah, right back to the sixties, and it's yeah. just. Uh, it's, it's, it shows well. One it shows how hard it is to make money out of passenger cars in Europe for a start. If you can't make a, if you can't make a vehicle like that work, uh, and a Golf, know, of course, which was number one for so many years across Europe, is nowhere near it now, is it? You know, it's just. Uh, mm. I'm looking forward to the Astra getting to know the Astra interior because I've, I've not got on with the with the all electric or elect, electronic screen based 
interior of the golf too much. So I'm no. going to be fascinated to see whether Mark Adams and his boys have, can, can sort of build me something that is modern. I do like modern graphics and, and you know, I quite warm to, to screen based things, but, but I just don't want to be bamboozled. No, exactly. I think the golf is a misstep, isn't it? And I think, uh, I don't know how wedded they are to it. Some Volkswagen brands, I mean, has Skoda slightly railed back on it or is planning to slightly on the, uh, on the, on the next gen stuff. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Um, which brings me to a letter probably actually, which is Gordon Stewart who writes, uh, I was interested to hear your thoughts on how cars have apparently not come on as much in the past 25, 30 years as they did in the 25, 30 years previously, which we were talking about. Uh, on last week's pod, still available at your favourite podcast supplier. I agree, says Gordon. I keep putting this down to my age. Well, I did as well, mate, but I think um, in the end, that's probably not the case. Why is it, says Gordon, I keep hankering after an E39 uh, BMW 5 Series or a Volvo 850 uh, or a X308 Jaguar XJ, which is, oh, crikey, my model lines with XJs are not great. I think that's what, late 90s, early 2000s. Or the MG ZT, blimey. Um, I was speaking to a friend recently who said that one drive in a Volvo 850T5R would probably put paid to all of that, though. Um, I'm going to say it's been a long time since I drove a Volvo 850, Steve. I remember the headlines. I remember the Autoguy headline on the front cover, you know, shock of Volvo that's fun to drive. Um, that really was, stopped uh, the traffic for us. We, that, we, had, we had long-termer, and uh, there was a lot of competition to drive it. And it was a good car, but it was that was – the stuff we're just talking about, low, fairly small frontal area, mm. um, you know, remarkably sporty, you know, looked pretty funky too. And, of course, Tom Walkerjaw helped us all by turning it into a racing car, didn't he? Yeah, didn't he just? Yeah, didn't you? I still remember the excitement. I was, uh, oh, crikey, when was that, 95? Oh, I was pretty I was pretty young at the time. But, uh, yeah, I remember the first time it, because there were no, there was no internet with any spoilers or anything else. You know, the first I knew of the fact that it would be a, a wagon rather than a saloon was, you know, when it when it rolled out in full livery, and it was just, uh, yeah, terrific. And eventually to turn it into a proper race winning car. I mean, what a great job! What a great yeah. year. Yeah, um, yeah. I am interested to. I'm interested as to what one would be like yeah. today. Amazing how compact cars like that look. You know, it was a big car back in the day, wasn't it? Really, but when you see them now, like it, they look. I but know, I, but I, as, as, on this gentleman's point, I think the, I think car progress does go in pulses, and there are times when, um, there are simply other priorities take over. You know, as we were agreeing last year, uh, last week, sorry, whenever it was, the, um, uh, um, we've just been through a thing that everybody labels the emissions era, and all the money and all the research and the and the trouble has been. Uh, um, taken with just making these things comply with ever more difficult clean air laws and I and and to some extent the the progress in in all the stuff that you and I and and, and you know our readers appreciate has uh, gone west a bit so mm. um, you know I think and, and obviously there's people are severely frightened by the coming EV era too so there's that's another reason for doing things perhaps less optimally than they would have done before. Hmm. Funny enough, actually, that at the start of this week, I know we were going to talk about the Hondry trip that I did on Thursday, which is which is a trip with Goodwin, uh, Colin Goodwin, our contributor, where he uh, he he's flown somewhere 
and uh, it's slightly contrived. He's realised he's he's lost a spark plug, and uh, or one's fouled up, and, he, and he's phoned me, and I'm at home in my EV, and I've just got just got home with very little charge. And his thinking is, oh well, this is what EVs are bad at. You know, you can't suddenly suddenly go from nowhere to somewhere if you start with no charge. Actually, it's not that bad as it turns out. But uh, it was it was quite a long day. But if you if you need to get somewhere, I. You know, I've run an EV for I, I, at the start of the year. I ran an EV for several months, um, and it was uh, what was that? You, know, you just get into it. That was a Polestar too, so oh, it had a range of around two hundred miles in winter and sort of two thirty in in summer. But anyway, so that's one thing. But uh, but uh, re your re your point about where we are with EVs at the start of this week, uh, we've just done a um, you know we do our best drivers' cars contests. We do the the big one, and then we yeah. do an affordable one, and we thought we'd do an EV, a BEV one this year to see where progress is and it is it does not feel that mature in terms of fun to driveness but there are things that you can just feel are getting there just feel with a kia ev6 gt say um just as you turn they're obviously starting to realize what you can what you can do and start to experiment with what you can do by going well actually if we just put all the power to the outside rear wheel just as you come back on the power mid corner, that could be hilarious, and it in a way it is. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, there's a, a recording of the the video I've done for it, and, and halfway around, I'm I'm I just let out some yelp of of exclamation as wow. I get back on the power out of a hairpin, and it just steps unbelievably sideways in a way I did not expect in the slightest. So it doesn't oh, yeah. feel totally mature, but clearly people are starting to think oh yeah all right what can we what can we do about this you know how can we make a, an ev that is that is a giggle and um i've been on track at the moment you've still got all the issues of weight and the power usage is phenomenal compared Break to distance, driving on the road yeah, yeah. that something sort of but there's uh, there's and and these cars are still heavy you know but we are it feels like the it at least feels like people are thinking about it and we're getting there you know yeah. which is something so. so you didn't bend this car when it stepped out on you no, thankfully not. No, I was. We were at Croft Circuit, which um, oh god, I won't tell the story. But there is a yeah, we have bent a, a staffer did bend something there quite a few years, several long, long time ago, in the middle of winter. But uh, no, nothing got nothing got bent. Everything came back in the in the condition it was lent to us, which is uh, a win uh, all round. But but yeah, so the the EV the EV six and also the Ford Mustang Mark E GT, which is. Uh, not necessarily a great car all the time because it rides weirdly, but that also has that you know you get to a point in a corner where somebody's clearly thought, how are we going to make this car exciting? And the answer at the moment is seem apparently to put all the power to the outside rear wheel to make it send it completely sideways and incredibly agile in a way that's a bit weird. But there's something there, you know. There's the there's the there's the kernel of of something that will that will come later. I think. Oh, great. Maybe I, think. I suppose the day will come when. Perhaps this is, I don't, I'm not sure whether this is healthy or not, but it might become tunable. You know, you could uh, mm. sit in your, in your, on your sofa with your iPad and decide how much poke you want to go to the outside rear wheel next time you... That's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah, certainly in a way that you can't do very easily with uh, a mechanical thing. That's what struck me about that Polestar when I was, when I was running it. If you wanted to change the mechanics of the, because it had these clever, um, funky, expensive... Uh, dampers. Oh, the Olins, dampers. yeah, that's right. The Olins ones, yeah. yeah. And if you want to change it, you've basically got to crawl underneath the car. So to change the to change the damping tune, you've got to you know you've got to literally get on your back and and 
twiddling knob underneath the front wheels. But if you want an extra 70 horsepower, you just have to push the button that says, yeah, I'll have 70 horsepower, please. Yeah. And it comes down overnight. And that's, uh, it's, the, it's yeah, it's a weird old phase we're entering, but it's, yeah, it's there in the end. It's, I like that car. The, the, the Olin's, uh, I, I suppose because of Olin's and motorcycles I've seen and rally cars, they, you know, I've, I think they can do anything, those guys. And I do think that, that, um, that at least in the car that I borrowed it from, you lent it to me. And, and uh, mm. I thought it was a terrific car. I mean, firm, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Firm, but not uh, not harsh firm, is it? It's yeah. it's quite, a, it's just really well controlled. Yeah. And actually, I, I did one drive in it over a really challenging set of roads. And I wondered if it got better and better as I was going. And I couldn't decide whether it was working the dampers a bit and they were getting a bit warmer. So the oil was getting uh, less sticky and it was just starting to come into its zone or whether I was just getting into the, whether it's me, I was just getting into the car. And um, yeah, but it's a good, and I, I like the fact that they're doing something a bit, a bit different and a bit geeky and trying to, pitch a driver's car by saying yeah here's these i don't know how many i don't know how many owners are going to pick those dampers or how many are going to change them when they do but still because at the rear you've got to get underneath you've got to get behind the rear wheel arch lining to do it you're supposed to jack it up but if you've got small enough arms you can just about reach it but it's not the work of a minute you know it could be the work of but i went out i I went out for a day trip with my missus a steering committee and um we came back very happy in that car and and she doesn't like doesn't enjoy all hard riding cars but it was it was a well damped hard riding car and it and mm. we found it we found it relaxing for the pace you, you know we'd had to do quite a quick trip in it and and uh it worked you, you you had obviously set it up or had it set up really well i think yeah there's a standard uk tune which is towards the firmer end and then they recommend some stuff for like comfort and whatnot and I I sort of backed it off a, a little bit and found a, a found one I thought was that I thought was okay. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. A pretty good compromise. They do a track setting, but I can't imagine there's many track users of Polestar twos, but um well, but yeah five, it's a five yeah, laps and you're done, car. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But a really interesting car I thought. Right, that brings us pretty much I think mate, to uh the end of today's pod. Thank you for joining me, Stephen. That's very kind of you. Oh it was a great pleasure mate. Um, so if you want to write to us, you can. We're at autocar at haymarket.com or you can reach us um, on the usual social channels by searching uh, for Autocar. So for more from Autocar, we're at autocar.co.uk all the time in shops every Wednesday and on digital subscription. We're on YouTube and eight now we're on podcasts regularly too. So Steve, I'll see you um, later this week or the very start of next week. And until next time, everyone, cheerio. Good job. Cheerio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.